Welcome to Running Matters Podcast, episode 120, give or take one or two. It's close to 120. Yeah, it's close. And we should thank our sponsors, Ranella, who's hosting this live podcast, um, Goo, Fractel, Guy Allied Health, Running Matters Coaching, Basecamp Altitude, and we're looking for a new beer sponsor. I'll tell you what beer I like. Yep. Mountain Culture Beer. Yeah. Yeah, I think we should talk to them. It is nice beer here, isn't it? Well, so these you, filters are pretty good. If they well. do want to come on board, your brand could sound like this. <laughs> that's a good product launch. Mm. So we're here, uh, what were you going to say? I'm just looking at the Ranella hat, the Ranella Fractel hat in oh, front yep. of me now on, yep. on Scoot Richmond. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, the combination. Yep. It's amazing. Yeah, good branding there. It is, it is. And Steve Redfern, thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for uh, inviting me on the uh, on your live podcast. Yeah. Yes, um, this should be something a bit different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, you've been busy. You've had a, a couple of uh, huge races that uh, very few Australians participated in. So uh, we're going to chat to you about them and uh, your, your brave efforts. So should we start straight to you, Hayden? Yeah, mate. So now... Steve, I believe the first and second rules of the Barkley Marathon are we don't talk about the Barkley Marathon. So obviously everyone in the room has been sworn to secrecy, but do you feel a little bit conflicted sharing your experience? Oh no, not really. I mean, you can always go on the website and it'll give you all the details about yep. the Barkleys. Yep. There is no website, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll just have to leave it at that. So. All, right, all right, so everyone in here, you know not to say anything about this after tonight. Uh, and it's, it's been a dream of yours for eight years from what I've It has done. been, yeah. So yeah. it's one of the, pretty much one of the first races I discovered uh, after starting running. Yep. Um, I think I came back from my first uh, miler, which was the Alpine Challenge, and uh, got so excited with that, so looked around and this just popped up. Now, that was about the same year that the Netflix movie had come out, so mm-hmm. fantastic, watched that, and I thought, that's one race I've got to do. Mate, it immediately turns almost everyone else off. What uh, about it appealed to you? To uh, just, just the gnarly nature of doing it. Yep. Uh, the fact that there was nothing out there, it was off track, it was um, back to basics. I thought, yeah, I like that idea, and just, just hard and tough. Yep, certainly. Yep. <laughs> now, without giving too much away, what does or did the application process look like because it's certainly not out there on a website like you say so basically it's one thing everyone knows and you can get it off the the movie is you've got to do yourself uh, write an essay so once you can work out how to do an application and where to do your application what's what's common is that you do your own essay so okay I've had, I've had my essay uh, sitting there for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, it did take me about four years to actually work out how to actually... Who to give it to. Who to give it to <laughs> and <laughs> how to apply. Yeah. So uh, once I did figure that out, uh, I sent my essay in, um, but it took four years for that to be uh, actually accepted mm. and then get the, um, get the acceptance back from, uh, from Laz. And did you tinker with that essay over the four years to try to make it stand out and last to take notice a little bit i figured you couldn't keep it exactly the same yep. if he had read it the previous year and, and he's pretty smart so i think if he if you're just putting the same essay in mm. he would just look at it and just go no so i couldn't trust that he hadn't actually looked at it from previous years mm. or whether he'd just thrown it away so i did tweak it a little bit but generally overall it was the same essay i just kept adding to it over those four what, years what was the detail that you reckon got you over the line in the end uh 
probably just all my stupid races that I've done over the years. Okay. Um, the garage so, ultra surely had to help. Yeah, that was in there. So <laughs> that, that was added uh, in my uh, my second application. I got to add that one in there, so that was good. Um, and then got to add in Tree Gym Noi, um, also too, in for the fourth application. Okay, so you've done that before, you? Yeah, so yeah. I, I'd actually had because uh, it was, I was over there for quite late, I actually had my essay all ready to go, yep. and I even had that added in, so when I came home, I could um, just tweak it accordingly to how my race went, and then um, it was, yeah, ready to go. Okay. Well, we'll talk briefly about Shreechi more, and you could have another night about that on its own, uh, but I kind of want to get into the Barclays stuff yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty soon. But So, potentially not the best uh, preparation for Barclay Marathon, the Shreechi Moi, uh, self-transcendence, 3,100 miles, how many kilometres is it's that? nearly 5,000 kilometres. Just under 5,000, so 4,989 4, k's yep. uh, if you complete the full 3,100 miles over the 52 days. 52 days. Um, but I always think, what, the Barclays wouldn't be the perfect recovery race for a race like that one? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Maybe not. <laughs> it's true. And so my maths is poor, how many k's per day is that roughly? So, Basically, to, to reach the, the goal distance in the 52 days, uh, you're expected to run minimum of 59 miles, mm -hmm. or that's um, 96 k's uh, yeah. each day, um, with the course being open from 6 a.m. to midnight. Yeah. So you, you have that 18 hours to run it. Um, it. The one main rule is is you have to be on the course at 6 a.m. every morning, so for everyone, uh, they don't take any excuses. Mm -hmm. um, you can't choose to come at seven and run. So they want everyone there at six. Okay. Uh, you get a minute's sort of silence as appreciation to yourself and the other runners and then the actual organization. Yep. And then off you go. Now you can choose to stop at any time in the evening uh, according to how your distance is going. So mm. some chose to stop at 10 and 11 o'clock, some went through to midnight or depending on how their distance was. Wow. So on a scale of one to 10, crazy races this is right up there because you're doing 96 k's a day 52 days yep. around a block on a footpath yep that's less than a kilometer long so what was the motivation to do that uh, the main motivation for that race for me was my goal to actually see what i could actually get myself to do yep. it's, um i basically wanted to see where push myself through my limits and just see what I could do in myself and then what I had to do to actually get there. Yep. So it was it was a lot of self-motivation involved in that. And that's where at the end of the day, it wasn't so much the distance that motivates you. Um, to me, it's that idea of being committed to coming back every day for 52 days mm -hmm. and basically make it to the end. If you get to the distance, that's that's just like the extra bonus, um, and you do sort of try and strive for that as your baseline. But at the end of the day, you don't know how it's going to your first race is going to actually um, unfold. So my idea was is I just wanted to make sure I could be there every day, yeah. uh, start every day, and still be committed to go all the way through the end. And, and did you find your transcendence? I did. It's it's quite amazing. You actually have to actually transcend into that race if if you don't you wouldn't last you wouldn't last a week yeah. um, it's basically you, you just become one with the race and you just literally just you let yourself go and you actually just enjoy yourself being out there roaming around the, the same uh, course um, all day every day yeah. um, but don't see it as being monotonous it's um 
you just you just become one with it. So it's 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 quite um, it's quite enlightening. I found, yeah. and um, and I actually quite enjoyed actually as the race went on, wanting to actually get back out there on the course. Right. Okay. Uh, and often wanting to be on your own. So every now and then you'd have people want to do a lap with you. Um, or they'd ask um, to be, they, they get inspired, so they ask if they can come around and maybe walk a lap with you or just run punters, a lap. Like, yeah, just punters? Yeah, just punters, also just part of the organisation. Yeah, a lot of people from Tree Shimla are coming and watching, yeah. and they want to inspire you, but some days you just wanted to be on your own yeah. it's just and just be out there. And just that sort of solitude was actually, uh, was sort of half your motivation of actually keep going. Yeah, okay. And, and Penny's here tonight, so she stayed with you? Uh, Penny did not separated yet. No, she uh, <laughs> she did stay with me. Um, I did come home to a new addition to the house while I was gone. Yeah. Um, so we uh, got a new puppy. Oh, okay, nice. Uh, yeah. So I was highlighted that uh, on one of our morning chats. Um, I used to ring Penny every morning, um, which was the evening this time here, and it was my morning over there. So yeah, a couple of weeks in, I got the uh, the news of a new addition to the house. Yeah. So then I had another six weeks to. Um, Process that before I came home. <laughs> right. okay. Wait till he got his shots and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Perfect>. Came <laughs> back, he's fully grown. Pretty much. Um, so, what's the, the process? Was there 17 people in your race or 20? How many people? No, it's only small. So, we had 12 starters. Um, after day one, one of the starters actually, who wasn't feeling well, actually left the race but never actually came back. So, ultimately, we had 11 people sort of complete the race. Yep. Uh, it's a process that, even though it's um, on the website, you can apply, but it's not just a matter of thinking of it like a normal race where you just put an application in and they just go, yep, you've applied, you can, you're in. Yeah. You've got to sort of show the Sri Chimnoy team that one, that you're the right person to do the race, and two, also show them that they feel that you're capable of actually achieving that race. Yep. So they still see it as having to at least have the experience to actually run that each day yep. and um, and be committed to know that you've got to do that every day um, but also be a part of the actual the, what they call the family so mm. you're running with the same 11 runners and you're being with the same organizers for every day for 52 days yeah you've got to sort of join in with them and be one and be a part of them so yeah I was really lucky that I have a really nice relationship with the Sri Chimnoy group here in Australia, um, where I started my 24-hour running. Yep. So Prachar, who runs the marathon team out here, um, he was my sponsor basically in supporting me and in getting into the race over there. So we worked for two years, um, sort of going back and forth with the team over in America. And um, yeah, on his sort of recommendation, um, I was able to ever get a, uh, an invite to the race. Yeah, right. <laughs> Considering they, they didn't really know me very well, I'm not a big multi-day runner in, in the world scene, so for them I was an unknown, so having um, the team out here sort of support me, that was a long way towards me getting a spot, yeah. which was really good. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Very good. Do they have more than 12 applications, or is there more people that want to do that? Um, I believe they do. Yeah. They never actually say how many. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's huge. Uh, I think for our year there might have been about 20 applicants, um, and then they just pick who, who they decide would work really well. They do get a lot of returnees as well um, and they also, majority of the race will be run by um, other people from the Shri Chemo team who do a lot of those running. So three quarters of the actual uh, contestants in the race are actually part of Shri Chemo themselves. Oh, there so they knock you back again this year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep trying. There must be people in the audience that <laughs> want to do it. 
No takers? No takers? I can't believe they haven't let you in. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I know. I'll keep trying. They must have seen you at the Carrington. Yeah. Copy and paste the, uh, the application later. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you, you did find your physical limit during that run, though, and, and potentially... You know, that plays into the Barclay stuff. What, what, what happened sort of through the race in terms of physical? So issues? physically, I had a lot of feet issues. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, uh, I'd never run past six days, um, which I'd only done the year before. Um, mm-hmm. So part of my application was I still had to have at least one official six day to show that I was actually capable of doing a multi-day run. We had um, COVID and the pandemic. So two years, I couldn't get to Adelaide to do the six day. So they actually allowed me to run my own six-day race. So I organised just for myself to run up at the Barden Ridge Athletics track. Um, so I ran around that for six days. And um, because that course closed um, every night, so they locked the gates. So it was very similar to running the Shree Chimnoy race where uh, I was up there at five and then I was going home at nine o'clock every night. Yep. And I managed to do 650Ks and they were happy to accept that yeah. as, a, uh, as a non-official Warm up. Uh, warm up. Um, <laughs> now, anything, once I got to the race, once I went past that six days, it was all new territory for, for me. Yeah. So I learned a lot. Um, I had to adjust a lot. But the one thing I had really big issues with was um, I had a lot of feet issues. Mm-hmm. And to the point where on day 22, my feet were so bad, they actually pulled me off the course and told me that I wasn't allowed to run until my feet repaired themselves. And it was a minimum I was off course for four days before that they would reassess and let me back on. Yeah, okay. So that four days overall, theoretically, was just going to make it really hard for me to ever achieve mm-hmm. the full distance. Um, knowing that coming back onto the course, um, even though mathematically I could have still done it, but that would have meant I'd have to be in perfect condition, um, be prepared to run the 18 hours and still do that distance without any more feet issues. So. It, it held me back a little bit, and um, I ended up falling short about 500 k's or about 250 miles at the end of the day. And so you ended up with what 4,400 kilometres? Yeah, I got 4,400, so yeah. 2,728 miles. Yeah, wow, so still pretty impressive. Yeah, it's so so impressive, <laughs> yeah. particularly when you kind of knew that you weren't going to get to the 3,100 yeah. miles to continue. I think that's. So the biggest thing for me was it ended up being the commitment of the 52 days. Yeah. So, And I actually said that to Prachar and the Sri Chinoy team in Australia when he asked me my motivation for it. And I actually said to him before he even did, went to the race that over and above anything else, my commitment would be is I want to make sure that I can still do the full 52 days no matter what happens. Yeah. So I was really proud that I was able to at least still be able to achieve that. Um, and it ended up being I ended up running about another 2,500 k's on my bad feet once yeah. I got back on course so yeah wow <coughs> it's 51 days longer than your real estate career yeah <laughs> that's impressive that is impressive I was going to say when you when you had some issues I thought the voices in your head fighting each other it, it's the day they took me off was was a bit like that yeah um, there was a lot of mixed emotions on that day um, by the end of that day I sort of knew what I wanted to do um, and what really kept me motivated was so the four days I was off course um, they actually gave me exemption to come onto course every day. So they said I can just stay in my, um, my accommodation and just repair. But I still got up at five o'clock every morning. I'd set the alarm. I got up, got dressed, put on my running gear, put on my, just my thongs. I rode back down to the track and I stood on the start line at six o'clock for those four days. Mm. Um, 
and that was just my commitment to say that I was still there for 52 days yep. um, and that's what kept me motivated to want to come back when they allowed me back on course to then keep going yeah wow so the question is would you go back I will yeah yep. Penny um, you're going to stay um, with him I'm going to go with him this time yeah <laughs> yep. Yep. need another dog Alright, we should talk some Barclay stuff. Yeah, let's go. Alright, so four years of researching by the looks of things. Yes. So, did you scour the internet looking for bootleg trail footage and black market maps? Is there anything useful out there? Surprisingly, you'd be surprised that if you look hard enough, mm -hmm. what you can find yep. out there. But you only get snippets here and there. Um, eventually, you can put it all together and. Um, you do work out what you need to do yep. um, to how to apply and you do work out roughly what you're going to be expecting okay. to do the race. And so yeah, did any of that you know, piecing together really prepare you for the brutality in no. reality? No. no. It's, I knew it was going to be brutal yep. but it's, I don't think anyone in their head can fathom. Um, so on an average, so just one lap mm. which is Laz will call it 20 miles. It's actually about 25 miles, so yeah. you're getting close to about 40 k's for the lap. Mm. But you're doing about 4,500 to 5,000 metres of elevation yeah, in yeah. one lap. Yeah. Um, it even gives you a... Um, uh, when, you, when you do get to pick up the application pack, so he gives you what the actual elevation profile looks like. And it's just straight up and down. <laughs> so as you can see, there's... It's like the your ACG will... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure that's the right form? Yes. Um, there's no flat in there at all. So if yeah, you're not going up, you're just going straight down. All right. And, and you did some crewing just before the COVID sort of stuff. Did, did you get a chance to be on the course a little bit? I did. I was lucky enough, 2019, um, I was invited to go over and crew for Izzy Ross, yep. who was the previous Aussie that got into the race. Yep. Um, and the nice thing is, is the, the whole park itself is still open to the public. Mm. So he doesn't stop you um, running on normal trails, so you're allowed to do that. Mm. So I managed to do um, a good couple of runs back then. Yeah. And it gave me a bit of a, an idea of what the park looked like. Yeah, yeah. You can see when you look left and right what the mountains are like, what the hills are going to be like. So, yeah, yeah. And just the terrain, um, the the foliage that's there and what it's all like so you, you do get a rough idea which very, is good. very different to the national park that's it is so much different to yeah. you. Well, the thing is it's all deciduous so being in sort of coming out of winter mm. there's no leaves on all the trees so it's um and it's just all sits on the ground so okay. you've got about two feet of just leaf cover oh, sitting on the ground so brutal that that just hides all the rocks all the roughness all mm. the mud but good so for napping but good for napping, <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, nice and soft. Yeah, beautiful. Makes for easy falling. So there's lots yeah. of falls. So yeah, you, you yeah. do get a lot of soft falls when you um when you do the race. Drop and roll. Yeah. Perfect. What's um Lars? He's got a thing about um, a requirement. Once you get in, you need to bring something. Um, what what yep. was the requirement to bring something? So first timers, it's um you've got to bring yourself a uh, number plate from your home state. Yep. Um, mine had a little bit of a story to it. Yep. So um. I, Penny won't want, doesn't want me to say the story, but I was, uh, the run I did today was I do my, I like to do a run through the National Park. So it just basically does the full loop uh, along the road. Yeah. So this one, probably about five years ago, um, I was just doing my run through the National Park. Uh, it was about four in the morning. I'm running down from Waterfall down towards the, um, the bottom. And I got just towards the bottom and on a bend, there was two cars just sitting 
um, still smoking uh, and still warm, just sitting off. Uh, they literally must have been racing each other and off they went in there. No one was around. And uh, as I looked over with my head torch, I just happened to notice that one of the number plates had been ripped off the car. Oh, wow. So being a good citizen, I thought I'd do the right thing. I'd pick up the number plate and I'd, I, I want to take it back and give it to the authorities. So I shoved it in my running pack. And of course, it was one of the personalised ones that sort of was nice and long. So stuck out the top of my running pack. And I ended up running the rest of the, uh, the run that morning with this number plate sticking out the top of my pack. Did you check if anyone's dying in the car? Like, I did have a look. There yeah. was no one there. I'd yeah. say that they had done a runner pretty yeah. quickly, yeah. Um, yeah. looking at where the cars were. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was, uh, yeah, that was where I got my number plate. There you um, go. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, the authorities didn't want it back. So yeah. um, I just you tried to on, do the right thing. I just held on to it. And yeah. yeah. And that, that then was I, a, and this, I passed this it on. a question from Scoot Richmond. Where did you flog your number plate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. So good. Mate, so did you have to give him anything else apart from the number plate? Is there like a flannel shirt or something? No, so first time is it's always a number plate. Mm -hmm. um, for anyone who calls them the veterans, um, so anyone who's done it before and they come back. So every few years it, it changes. So some years it's been a flanny shirt, yeah. um, other years it's been socks. Um, so this year it was just a, a t-shirt for him, okay. so it, was, it had to be a t-shirt from your home country. Yeah, right. And if you're a, um, someone who's previously finished the race, so you've actually done the five laps, they give him a packet of Camel cigarettes. <laughs> so good. So it's, um, and as he says with, with like, you'll do three years of flanny shirts, so he says he now has a whole cupboard full of flanny shirts. Yep. And, and, and then he moves on to the next Now his t-shirts. Now his t-shirts. So what type of t-shirt did you give him? Oh, no, for me it was just a number plate. Okay, because the first time. Because I'm the first time. So, gotcha, gotcha. Um, so if I do get invited back, well, then whatever it will be, then I'll have to um, then provide that. Yeah. So. Um, and what was the entry fee? Entry fee. Entry fee is a dollar sixty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> American. Was that US? Yes, US. So, two one dollar bills is really good. Yeah. Um, so when you do end up entering, um, you've actually got to send your entry in once you'd be accepted. Okay. Uh, so. Coins aren't very good to send over, no, so yeah. you send over two one dollar bills, and as he says in the entry fee, you don't get your change back. Yeah, right. Said, Bad luck, he says. I get to keep the change. Yeah, That's right. He's making a fortune. That's oh, right. he, he actually says he goes. I make an absolute fortune. So no one ever gives me a dollar sixty. Yeah. No one just seems to give me two dollars. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, little story. Of my entry is is I'd sent mine in, um, so you actually don't get fully accepted until he receives your entry. So one, you apply, you get accepted. Then he sends out the application, you fill the application with your entry fee, and you've actually got to send it by mail to him. Yep. So I sent mine by registered mail, waited, 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 two months, waited, waited, waited. <laughs> Finally get an email from him saying, well, I guess you're not wanting to run this year. Um, I haven't got your entry. And no. I was like, this is two weeks before I'm about to fly out. Yep. So I had to basically scramble to reprint the entry, redo the entry, uh, redo his questions on the entry, and actually sent it over by courier. It was $100 to send it over there, and it still took a week to get to him, but he got it about four days before the race. Yeah, okay, so the yeah. first one went missing. Yeah, I don't think it ever arrived. Yeah, wow. Well, if it did, I don't know which one he ever got. He never told me which one That's he got. That's how he makes his money. That's how he well. makes his money. <laughs> 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 now he's got, you got, now he's got, got four, times. four dollars off me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hoax, and Doubles. it costs you 104. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Mate, you've been doing, apart from the Shichi Moy stuff, you've been doing a ton of like lap style racing and track stuff over the past few years. So how do you shift your mindset from race planning and like, I guess mindset in general from that style of racing to this complete unknown It's stuff? no different. 
Okay. It's five laps. Yeah. So it's still lap racing. <laughs> so it's just a different sort of lap. So um, I've always enjoyed trail running anyway. So uh, I do. I, I enjoy trails, road, um, track running, lap running. So it's. I find it easy just to go from whatever one to the other. Because mm. uh, I, I enjoy all of it. Um, I can go from doing a 24-hour track race and then go straight into trail running and and just enjoy that. So mm. the transition wasn't that hard at all. Okay. And surprisingly, with even though I was recovering from the 3100, what I did find was that my elevation training for this one is that part of my muscles and my legs felt really strong. They okay. actually had not suffered from without doing a ton of that sort of training. Well, I hadn't I hadn't done that for over. A year and a half. Okay. It was all pretty much flat running for a good year to a year and a half. Wow. Um, went straight into elevation training sort of once I felt good. Yep. And even though my um, my hammies and my sort of uh, speed work was terrible, like it was really suffering, my feet were suffering, mm. but as soon as I went into any form of um, elevation climbing for my training, mm. that felt really good. Okay. So. I had no issues with that, and that, that's probably what made me feel comfortable going into it with not the best prep, yep. was knowing that it was just all going to be up and downhill. Um, I didn't think I was going to have a problem with that side of it. Yeah, well. do, you, do you reckon your legs and feet were just happy you're not running around the block? I think the feet were, yeah. um, but in saying that, they were what gave away during the Barclays. That's what made my decision on when pulling. I actually ended up pulling, pulling the pin. Yeah, mm. it, was, it was the feet that basically did that. Yep. And that was just the roughness of the course. Yep. So it's, um, they copped an absolute hiding um, from the climbing and the descending. So it's um, after 50, about 55 k's, and I reckon it would have been about 7,000 meters of elevation. Um, they just said, I knew that they were just about to fall apart. So yeah. I sort of had to make a decision at the right time to pull out. So um, where I pulled out, it was easy to get back to camp. Um, but if I kept going from that point, you would have ended up at the complete opposite end of the park and it would have been the furthest away from the camp and it just meant if I pulled out later you're looking at about a seven to eight hour walk to get back to camp so yeah how long did it take you to get back to camp once you did decide to pull oh, out? it was about two and a half hours Shit. it was a bit of a it was a bit of a somber walk but it was cold what do they call it what's the road to come home it's like uh, Moses walk or that's, you got quitters road, quitters road. now <laughs> if i kept going that's what i would have ended up on okay um so i ended up pulling out at the tower because it was we we're doing a reverse loop so the tower came up quite early yeah so from the tower you can take what they call the south mac trail um which is only about um three miles okay so it's, it's the shortest way back to camp basically for two and a half hours of trudging yeah, yeah. and minus nine Oh. Minus nine, the temperature. Yeah. So it got down to minus nine that evening. So um, once I stopped running and decided to walk back, it was cold. So what are you what are you wearing in minus nine degree temperatures? Like, as so I had on basically I had the socks, I had calf sleeves, I had long running pants on. Um, then I had my uh, basically my run shirt, a long sleeve shirt, and then I had a, a thick raincoat. Mm-hmm. Um, Buff around my neck, buff on my head, and actually, supposedly, and surprisingly, fingerless gloves. Until I stopped, and then that was the first time my fingers froze up. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is unsurprising. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. They <laughs> <laughs> were warm the whole time, but yeah. Uh, yeah. As soon as you started walking. Yeah. Should uh, should yeah. we go to some listener questions? Break it up a bit. Yeah. 
I'm going to have to go to another page for that, though. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, I, I want to talk some prep stuff first. I want, I want to know, had you prepped in terms of, I guess mentally, but also gear-wise, to be out there for 60 hours? Uh, generally, I've, I've done runs where I've been out there for pretty much close to that time. So having done Hong Kong four trails, that was 54 hours. Yeah. So I've sort of already had the idea of how to prep. Yeah, for that time, and I had most of the gear anyway. Mm-hmm. And food um, and fluid and all that sort of jazz. You like, you're ready to do sixty hours. I had it all there, so yeah. it was hard because you just don't know. Yeah. One, you don't know what time you're going to start. Mm-hmm. So, the hardest part of sort of prepping was, am I starting at night when you when you actually starts the race? Because it'll be starting in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. Do you think you're going to do a whole loop in just a day, like in the daytime, and then go out at night? Yep. So until you actually, he blows the conch and says, race starts in an hour, only then do you really get an idea, is it going to be a daytime loop or a day-night loop or a mm. night loop? Mm. So this one we knew was going to be a day-night loop, so um, we wouldn't have made it back in like within the daylight hours with a 10 o'clock start. So. Yep. You instantly sort of you scramble a little bit with just adjusting, but yeah, yeah. I left a lot of that with my crew, so it was all there. It was sort of in 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 lots, mm-hmm. but basically it was just up to the crew. Um, I just let Amelia just go. Once I'm out there, I took enough for 12 hours worth of food, and um, basically just gave her the idea that she would have a rough idea when I'd come back, mm-hmm. and um, just having me ready for that. And that will give her an idea for the next loop if I was to continue on. So yeah, so good. Uh, look, you, and you got a night's sleep beforehand. Like, did you actually sleep? I did. I had a full night's sleep. It was really good. Yeah. So um, I went to bed about nine o'clock that night, and um, I merely stayed up all night in case the actual he blew the conch during the night. Yeah. Which he didn't. He blew it at eight fifty-four the next morning. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, I slept all night. Got up at seven o'clock. Had some breakfast. Um, did a bit more prepping. Wandered up to the uh, to the start line and just looked at the vibe and went back down and then he finally blew the conch and, and I still had another hour after that. Luxury. It was. <laughs> so for those uninitiated, he can blow the cone any time in a, a 12 hour period. Yep. So it could be a, a 9 p.m. start, it could be a 2 a.m. start. So basically the race starts at midnight the night before. Yep. So he can actually blow that conch at 11.01 in the evening an hour before the race starts meaning he could start the race dead on one minute past midnight Um, but then he's got a 12 hour period so he can blow at any time during the night and up to up to midday the next day and you have no idea so um, one thing Laz does is is he sets that time um, when he's actually going to blow it at the end of the previous year's race oh really and him and his um, Mike Dunn so he's sort of partner at RD they'll set it together and they actually write it and lock it in stone and it doesn't get changed. No matter what the weather's like, uh, no matter who's running, there's no change, it has it locked in. There you go. Yeah. So you, it was a pretty good time to start, I think, for you. Oh, it was, it was, as I said, it was probably the best time he's ever chosen to start yeah. um, to basically hopefully get a good amount of finishes if he was going to get it for this year. Yeah. And that was all weather depending. So, and it happened to be that we had, rather than being cold, we had perfect weather. Until it was minus nine. Yeah. 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 It was still clear. <laughs> no rain this year. We had rain the day before the race started, yeah. and then it literally rained the day after the race finished, yeah. but didn't rain for the whole time during the race. Snow. Piece then, really. Snow. We did, we did have a bit of snow up the top. Yep. Um, all, the, all the water and all the little waterfalls up the top were all frozen. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was cold. Yeah. 
So if you were successful, basically five days of 11 hours at 11 hours per loop. Uh, no, no. So three days. So you've got me a bit. So think of a 12 hour loop. Yep. And then you're doing a 12 hour for the night yep. and 12 hour for the next day. Yep. So the guys that finally did finish, yep. um, Carol Sabre, who came in last at literally 59 hours and um, 54 minutes. Yep. So he was like the longest person ever to take to finish. Yeah. That was pretty much three, four days, almost three, four days for him. Yeah, wow. And that's still 30 hours longer than your real estate career. Yeah, <laughs> impressive. The commitment, the commitment. Thinking about going back. Awesome. Mate, I want to know what your, uh, your emotional state is on that start line. Like, it's been built up for four, eight years. Are you cautiously optimistic? Are you really excited or are you shitting yourself? Uh, I, was, uh, I was probably cautiously optimistic uh, just I sort of had an idea that I didn't know how I was going to go so my idea was a minimum I'd like to have done three laps and when you look at a lot of first timers they actually all said the same so mm. they all aim for at least three to be realistic yep. to go to five um, as you said for most people who've ever finished five laps it's usually their third to fifth attempt at yeah, the race right. um, but you still have in saying that Aurelian who finished the Frenchman this year first time, first time. Mm. so he, he bucked the trend a little bit mm. but you go out there wanting to do really good um, but not being overly um, sort of uh, cocky about it so off I went and we, I just kept it pretty pretty calm um, because you know that 500 meters after we started we hit our first hill okay. and it's just and you don't really realize you can see all the hills around you until you actually hit that hill mm. and then you just go oh shit <laughs> this is steep yeah, yeah, yeah. so um, you, you're too busy just climbing up that to even think too much uh, you get up get over the top of that one you head down to book one it was when I got to book one and you're ripping out that page from book one yeah. that's when I was pinching myself you're going, in it now. I'm actually in the race yet that's that that's what made it real it's awesome so good um, so being a Barclay virgin do you try to scout around the camp to find a veteran to tag on to like do you have those conversations before you start? Uh, people try. There's a lot of talk about people trying to stick with the, the veterans. Mm -hmm. um, I think what I found was is you've got to be really careful. So you pick a veteran, you think, oh, he's going to be good. But if you pick one of the front runners, mm. they just they just they took off. So you could either just try and keep with them, and you're just going to blow up. Mm. And then that's the point that they that they won't wait for you. So if you end up falling behind, you're on your own. Um, other veterans are actually quite slow um, so I just sort of felt I'm just going to run it and wherever I end up whoever I end up with um, there are people around you so hopefully whoever you're with um, you'll just get sort of you can work together with that. Pace and, yeah. as it was um, I end up basically having a very similar pace to another virgin uh, female Andrea um, from Wisconsin so she does adventure racing and it just happened to be that our pacing was perfectly similar mm -hmm. and it was probably after book three we're going up our um up the third climb and uh it was about a group of five or six of us um there was katie wright who was uh, a veteran from previous year um there was myself andrea another virgin and a couple of others but they end up being so slow going up the hill i just i just said i can't mm -hmm. i can't go at this pace so i took off and just kept climbing and as it was Andrea took off as well mm -hmm. and from that point onwards we ended up running exactly the same pace for the rest of the rest of the loop Good. Um, and together even though we we're two virgins we ended up 
finding every single book perfectly. Yeah. Um, so we never had any navigational errors. So we didn't have to lose any time actually finding each page in the book. How, how um, well hidden are these things? Like some, they're hidden. Yeah. So it's um, it's it's easy enough for people to if you're 10, 15 meters from where the book is and where you think the book will be, you could be sitting there looking for two hours. And some people have been known to actually roam in circles for two hours because they're only 20 metres from the book. Yeah, right. Um, and you had none of that? You sort of saw the little plastic bag? It, uh, you, you, it's still hidden, okay. um, but you, you, you basically came out at the right spot. Mm. And then when you know how he says where he, where he hides the book, um, you go, oh, that's the tree or that's the rock shelf. And you sort of take 30 seconds to look and you, you, it's there. And, and is that how vague the description is? Like, look for this rock that's shaped like... Oh, he's, some of them are good. He'll go, um, if you head down the hill, head up the stream, you'll come across a tree that's basically facing east as it's fallen over um, with all its leaves off it. Now, just ignore that tree and go 10 feet over to your right. <laughs> and then you'll see two other trees there. But just off from that tree, um, there's a be a rock and it's hidden under the rock. Really? So he'll, he'll sort of lead you one way and then you'll end up in another direction. What a bastard. Yeah, it yeah. sounds terrible. What about the, the mapping in general? So obviously there's no trail markings, there's no course map, nothing like this. You've got a master map and you've got to write your own map from this. Yep. How, how, how long did you spend poring over this master map before you thought you knew where you were going? Um, so basically being there and knowing the outlay always definitely helps. Mm -hmm. So you, you have a rough idea. Um, so once you can start reading the course notes, you know where he's talking about so having a bit of a bit of an idea of the lay of the land helps so when you do write draw up the course map you basically already know that that one's heading up that ridge line that one's heading up that hill mm -hmm. the only difference is, is when you're actually there you, you've got to be careful on what ridge on that mountain that you want to be on um, especially if you're coming off the top if you can have two ridges that are parallel that start together mm -hmm. if you happen to just take one say to the left and not the right you could end up half a k from where you need to be yep. down the bottom and you had one or two of those sort of navigation yeah. issues one so going into book two yep. we just all have been a bit excited we came around from book one followed this flat bench um, what they call bench which is like a flat section around the mountaintop and then where we dropped off we dropped off one ridge too early mm -hmm ended up putting us about 10 minutes downstream from book two, which happened to be book two was probably the easiest book to find, mm -hmm. but we ended up being at least 10 minutes downstream, but we sort of figured that out pretty quickly, yeah. um, scrambled upstream and book two was there. That was the only one we had an issue with. Okay. And, and what, I mean, leading into this, what were your navigational skills like? Like, obviously we don't test them out when we're running around a track or around a block in Queens or anything oh, no, like you've that. You've got to be pretty navigational <laughs> on a track. You've got to be careful you don't drift off into the next lane. <laughs> you end up in lane six. Oh, mate, any, anything can happen yeah, like that. Yeah. And then, you, then you're totally stuffed. Yeah. Uh, I've, I was quite lucky. I've, I've grown up bushwalking. Yeah. I, I grew up in the Blue Mountains, and before I was running, I, I spent... 25 years bushwalking yep. so I was always always happy with reading a map in the lie of the land um, I got so used to doing that up in the Blue Mountains that that in itself was enough and made me comfortable that I could look at the map and say for the Barkley one having an idea of what the actual um, state park was like mm -hmm. you could know which mountain you're supposed to be on and which red line okay. so um, it was more just when you get down to the final point getting closer to the book 
just making sure that you're in the exact right spot. Mm. And, and what about at night then? Because you know you're spending chunks of time trying to do exactly that in the dark. Uh, a lot difficult. Yeah. So <coughs> when we were coming back, um, you do have to then be more aware of your navigation. Mm. Um, so so coming back for us, it was a reverse loop. Um, book one was, which was the last book on the first loop. That's quite easy. So that's not far off heading up the trail for the first hour and a half and then you head off trail from that point. Now from there, you could have picked one of five ridges coming off from that point. Mm -hmm. Now that would all determine on you being a kilometre from the book or you actually coming out directly at the book. So we'd actually come off that and realise that we were one whole ridge line off to the left. Um, had an idea that was supposed to be on the one to the right, but the cavern between us was just too big. Yeah. So we just had to go down to the creek and then just follow that down to the book. But nice thing is, is at least remembering where all the books were, yeah. that when you got to that point, you yeah, recognised yeah, yeah. where you were. Yeah, okay. So you just had to be comfortable knowing that, You're it, close. that you've come out either upstream or downstream. So that was the one thing in the dark, and it's just pitch black out there. Mm. So Wait, Weren't you scared being out in the dark on your own? Oh, with the, with the bears and, yeah, and yeah. the... Um, uh, no. No? No. Just me. <laughs> <laughs> what, there's an old prison close to yeah there is yeah yeah brushy mountain uh, penitentiary yeah, so yeah. um you do happen to active prison no, no it's 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 unactive okay. now so the active prison's actually now on the driving road to the actual to the frozen right. head park so yeah. there's actually a whole brand new prison so you actually pass that as you drive in mm -hmm. but the old prison's actually on the opposite side of the mountain and you still yeah. weren't scared no, so oh, okay. and you still even get to go underneath it. All oh, right, yeah. okay. Get so, through a tunnel underneath. Yeah, it's it. a good, good hundred meter long tunnel. Yep. So the river actually runs underneath the prison. Yep. So it's it's the one thing everyone knows it. It's it's in the movie. Um, so you you got to go down on one end, and you got you got to go underneath the prison, through the uh, through the river, and you come out at the other end. Yeah. Okay. So wet feet. Uh, first one uh, got away with the wet feet. Um, there's a uh, what they call a vent shoot just before the end. So if you're game enough to climb up that, you don't have to get your feet wet. Um, on the return in the in the dark, we didn't want to do that. So basically it was uh, that next sort of 20 meters, you had to get your feet wet. Yeah, okay. So that was, that was the first time I got my feet wet in the whole race. And I think that was from that point, that's when my feet started to fall apart. Yeah, yeah. Especially in those temperatures. Oh yeah. So we're gonna ask Penny here, Penny, if he goes back, is that appealing him? Appealing to be in the van at minus. Yeah, I think I'll go back with him. This yeah, time. you would. I think I'll have a go this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Being in the van. Yeah. Camping. Yeah, I think I could do it. Minus this nine. Way, if Penny goes back, I won't be allowed to um, quit on halfway around the loop. Nah, do it properly. Yeah, yeah. She'll kick me straight back out again. Yep, yep. And has that uh, has that thought process entered your mind? Are you thinking about? reapplying or is yeah no those, def those definitely want to reapply i think yeah. i've got more there yeah um i know that it was my feet was the only thing that really made my decision to stop so um i know as time goes on i will um i'll, I'll feel a lot better so i definitely think there was more there um because i knew nailing the actual lap in the first lap i was really happy with 11 hours um navigation was good i was comfortable with what we we're doing so and enjoyed it so i think i think there's possibly to do better so how are the feet now? Uh, we're getting better. I think coming back from Barclays, that basically put me back almost six weeks from my recovery from the 3100. Yep. And it, they're only probably now in the last week since I've been back. It, I'm starting to actually feel strong again in the feet. Yeah. 
So, and I think they're going to get better every day. So, um, this has probably been my first enjoyable week of training um, yeah. since I've been back. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That good is good. Yeah. Let's do some listener questions. Yeah. This has come from Michelle Stickman Hangi. As a card carrying member of the Anti Poles Club, how crucial were the sticks for Barkley Marathons? <laughs> the old uh, hashtag, I'm not anti pole, even though everyone thinks I am. I've, I've heard you talk in that, disparaging that, tones of poles in the past. I think that stems from a comment I made at C2K a few years ago um, when they asked us that we had to have poles as our men's equipment three mm. days before the race started. So I put up a comment saying that was a bit unfair mm. and not all of us had poles. And I think then the next 50 comments after that was just me being anti-polar. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of where, it's, uh, where it stemmed from. But... Uh, the poles. Uh, You're a convert now, though. Yeah, you've come over for the one dark race. side <laughs> for one race. Yeah. But I must say, I took the poles over. Um, so never having poles. So mm. my running pack. Uh, first thing I did when I brought my Salomon pack was I just cut all the little loops off it. So for weight purposes. Oh, just I just hate things dangling on my pack, and I figured I'm never going to carry poles, so there's no point in keeping the pole loops on there. Smart. So I'm sitting over there looking at a pack, thinking I've got nowhere to carry my poles. Mm. So, so I'm thinking, what do I do? I'm holding them. Do I stick them here? So I'm on the start line, going, oh, well, I might as well just put them out and just use them because I've got them. I'm going to carry them. As it was, 500 meters in, you had to use the poles. Mm. That was I would not have been able to do that without poles. Um, only issue is it doesn't help when you break a pole halfway around loop one mm. so that was a bit of an issue so yeah perhaps you should have uh, borrowed him from a less weighty individual michelle he's already put a lot of strain through those I things know. So. i reckon he's weakened one of those carbon <laughs> poles so uh it didn't take much to uh to snap one and uh, it was on a it was on a uh, really pathetic actual fall um, i'd already had a two couple of major falls poles going everywhere all good get up off you go mm. this one was just a pathetic fall i just slipped fell over picked up and the pole just went snap so um no i think i think you'd uh, tested the tensile strength already and it was yeah. going to happen anyway mm. right, ne next question is coming from hugh hefner which is old but i believe laz <laughs> laz only counted 12 pages rather than 13 as two of the pages were stuck together can you confirm that one of those pages was from my Playboy Best of 1995 paperback? It could have been. <laughs> that absolutely shit me when I got back after 11 hours and he's counted them and he said, I'm sorry, but you've only got 12 pages. And I just went white. I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, there's 13. He goes, no, there's only 12 pages. I mean, crap, what do I do now? Mm. And he recounts them again and he finally un unsticks two of the pages. <laughs> my thing was, is I was really, everyone just, when they do the race, they just get their page and they just scrunch them in a bag. Mm -hmm. So you watch everyone, they get back to the start line Place and they just, they just pull out this just ball of pages and just sort of dump it on him. Mm. I had all mine nicely all stacked in order from book one to 13, <laughs> folded once and put in a nice Ziploc bag and still, you could only count 12 pages. <laughs> His hands were frozen. That's right. I think so. Yeah. He's about 150 as well. <laughs> 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 Struggles a little bit. Yeah. Do you remember any of the quirky kind of titles of the book? He tries to make them pretty corny, doesn't he? Oh, he does. Um, I actually do have them here. Um, <coughs> so one of them is Things Fall Apart. <laughs> that, was, that was a good one. This is, this is my favourite. Last Will and Testament. <laughs> the Bad Beginning. Uh, you've got bad luck and trouble. Um, is a three-day road. 
So it's quite funny. He actually picks books and the titles of the books specifically, yeah. very, very specific to the race. So yeah, he's, yeah. he's usually pretty um, picky about what he picks. So uh, the transformation of America's family. Ready or not? <laughs> Ten million steps. And there's the, the playbook. And that's the playbook. This is this was my favourite. This was the one I thought was the best. Abandon hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one that's taking so hey. the piss in here. Yeah, million steps. <laughs> good. I love that. So is the, the myth is amazing, but is is Laz as quirky and bizarre as he comes across? Would you believe he's actually just like a normal person? Mm-hmm. It's um, he's he is quirky, um, but he's very analytical and he's he's actually really really smart. So mm-hmm. everything he does and everything he portrays all comes for it, all has a reason. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, you, once you're there, and you're just like at any race hub, and it's it's amazing. It's just he's just like a normal person. Mm. He's, he does this massive persona, but when you're there, you're just like everybody else, and you're just one big happy ultra family, just all enjoying at the race hub, enjoying the race, and mm. all having a good time. Yeah, it, it seems to attract that that style of person, like that very intelligent sort of ultra runner. Um, question from Nicole Bunyan is who is the most interesting human you met out there on the track <coughs> oh, I, th- I think everyone's interesting out there it's amazing um, just I think just the guys finishing yeah. watching what they went through mm. so on that last day uh, you can roughly work out when they're going to come through the tower now that's the only point Laz allows people to go up and spectate so uh, so where I quit and went back to uh, camp so you can actually walk back up that trail and you can actually watch the runners come through the tower yep. before they run off and head down rat draw. That's the famous rat draw with the power lines and all the briars. Mm. <coughs> so, but when you're there, there's no interaction. So it's quite, quite surreal. So when we turned up on our first lap, there's probably about 20 people up there and not a single word is said. They didn't say anything. No. <laughs> so you, you, you turn up and you start talking to them and you forget that they're not allowed to interact and they're all just looking at you and not one of them, just they just don't say nothing. Really? Um, and that was the same. So when we watched the last runners coming through, so John Kelly and Carol Sabre were the last two. I really had already gone through because he was doing the reverse loop. Yep. Um, and those two were about 45 minutes apart. And it was like, there was 20 of us there and then they come up and they're just, they're completely spent mm-hmm. and they're just, absolutely focused and it's just dead silent what you could hear was there was a bunch of photographers up there it was just the cameras going off mm. um, but no one just said anything so John Kelly's there doing he's having his recovery drink and he's filling up his tailwind and his bottles and he's pouring water on his head to cool down because it's so hot there <coughs> and um, no one just says anything and, and then he just heads off and only once he's headed off and he starts going down rap jaw then everyone just starts cheering him on yeah you're right so it's yeah, re- re- it's a real bizarre feeling, but it was that. That's probably the quirkiest part of the whole race was actually watching those two come through and saying nothing. Yeah, and just saying nothing. And the Yanks love to say stuff too. Oh, oh yeah, it'd be really hard for them. But they they, they, they all stick to the rule. So it's okay. it's um it was quite funny um, when I went through on my first lap and we're filling up our bottles. Uh, I'd actually dropped a bag of peanuts and I didn't realise that it fallen out of my pack. Hmm. So as I left. I wanted, to, I wanted to eat my peanuts and I'm going and said, I've lost them. Now, um, Katie Wright's partner had actually picked them up and he was trying everything he could to get my attention to say, you've dropped this <coughs> without saying a single word. And of course, they just, 
of course, off I ran, and he's just standing there with a bag of peanuts in his hand. Yeah. He, he gave them back to me when I got back to the um, back to the race hub. <laughs> no way, that's well done. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, you're a race director yourself. You do the, the ultra marathon up at, at Barton Ridge. Have you thought about doing something quirky like this yourself? Surely it's crossed your mind. To put on a race? Uh, honestly, just putting on the Southern Sydney, yeah. uh, that takes all my time. Yeah. I, I take my hat off to RDs that can do multiple races yeah. in a year. Yeah. I'm amazed at just how much work is involved just doing one one race. But it's it's the same length as a um, as the Barclays. It goes over three days. Yeah. Um, so I guess if you put it in that sense, yeah, um, yeah. there's enough work there. But yeah, while I'm a full-time worker, um, I've, I've thought about I'll probably have about 20 races I'd love to put on yeah. to the ultra public, yeah. but I've just got to find the time. Have you thought about the perfect 900 metre block that you could run around for 52 days in the Shire? Well, would you be surprised? I actually have one in Ingerdine. Yeah. That was my training my training block. Yeah. So I'd actually worked out it was 850 metres. So it was just three, 30 metres short of the normal block. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I was training on my own little um, 800 metre block. Uh, in Ingerding. And and did it have a coffee shop on the route? No, it didn't have a coffee. It was yeah. pretty pretty bad. Yeah. I, I didn't pick very well for that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. You'd find another one. I, I did have a lot of uh, confused uh, residents that wondering <laughs> why I kept running around every day. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Coming back lost. and running around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did get a few questions on that one. Yeah. Found your dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still looking. At <laughs> I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going. I want to know about these three blokes that can finish the 60 hours. What what sets them apart? Like what attributes, what skill set do these dudes have that allows them to finish? When you know you're you're a great athlete, and then you get in through this one and a half laps, or you know aiming for three, they're getting through five. What what makes them a five lap oh, athlete? They're just the next level. Mm-hmm. Probably to put in context. So my lap one was 11 hours. Now, I felt, other than the 10 minutes that we took to get to book two, mm-hmm. um, everything else we did uh, was perfect. We didn't lose any time. All our navigation was perfect. And I didn't think, we, we didn't stop, we didn't sort of chat, we didn't sort of say we need a break. And that took us 11 hours. Mm. So these front runners are pushing so hard. They finished lap one in eight and a half hours. So, and they're, they're all pushing each other. So mm. they're, they're in like a group of five and they're just out to just full-on race that race so I think that in itself is they're pushing at that next level mm. um, and two they're just they're just so focused on it um, so one was John Kelly so he's now he's now the only he's a second finisher so he's done it twice uh, like finished it twice mm. but I think he's run it from memory I think he's run it nine times now okay. um, so it did take him I think four years or so to get to his first finish um, and it's been five years since then for him to actually get his second finish mm-hmm. uh, with Carol Sabre now he's just he's just an amazing runner so his background is is he likes to do massive FKTs so he's run the Pacific Crest Trail and held the FKT on that one um, the Appalachian Trail mm-hmm. that was 52 days long for him that's over five I think 5,200 k's and the year before uh, he went to Barclays this year, which was his third time at Barclays, he ran what was called the, the Alpina Trail over in Europe. Mm. So it actually goes across from one end of the Alps all the way to the other end. And that was three and a half thousand k's and about 125,000 metres of elevation within oh. that actual um, that attempt. 
So that's There's always someone crazier than you. There's always someone crazy. You think you're crazy, and yeah, then yeah. someone else just comes along. Yeah. Look at the start line, and you just feel normal. <laughs> it's a nice feeling. It is. It's <laughs> good, mate. Um, what is it about doing a race that is quite obviously going to break you physically and mentally that that attracts you so much? I like the idea of just doing it and knowing that it's, it's going to find your limit. So it's, it gives you a chance to know where your limit is and are you able to push through that limit. So it's, uh, that's what I like about it. So it's, it's that challenge that it's not just set out for you. So I, I like doing like FKT style runs um, or just making my own runs. So mm. it's that unknown challenge of I'll, I'll set up a, rate, a run that's point to point, but you just don't know what to expect because it's the first time you're doing it. Mm. So I like the idea of this is just... You just don't know what to expect and how far can you push yourself and at what point will that um, possibly break you or if it does break you. Yeah, the idea that you might fail. The idea that you might fail, I like that idea. Yeah. It's, um, just, just, and it just gives you that chance to know where your limit is and um, how committed can you be to doing something like that. And so you found it there then? You found the limit? I did. Well, it sounds like you found your, your physical limit but not your mental limit. No, it's... Um, I was. I was Mentally, I was ready to keep going, yeah. um, but I think still physically, my limit was just, it was my feet, but I always knew that I was going into this not the best ideal year to do it, um, coming off what I did last year, but you just can't say no to doing a race like this, so, yeah. So you're only the fourth Australian to finish a lap? Fourth Australian to finish a lap, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. So how, how long's the race been going for? Uh, it's about, I think, about 35 years, maybe even close to 40 years. Wow. And... Yeah. Only 17, or as of this year, only 17 finishes now. Yeah, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> so it's, um, yeah, and it's been five years between finishes. So 2017, which happened to be John Kelly, was the last finisher. Yeah. And it's been five years, um, and you just happened to get three finishes this year. Yeah. And John Kelly was one of them as well. So so he's basically was the last one, and also this year, but five years apart. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Fantastic. I'd, I'd be following John Kelly if I was there. <laughs> that's right. Seems to have a pretty good record. Just stick with me. Yeah, that's right. real fucking fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come with you, John. Worst thing about a finisher is, you know, then the next year the course is going to be harder. Ah, okay. So he, he always he always tweaks the course, especially if he gets a finisher. He will make it harder. Yeah, okay. He says I don't want to make it too easy. So um, <laughs> if someone's finished, he goes, it's 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 too easy. So then he needs to actually uh, up the game a bit. Yeah, right. And it'll still only be 20 miles per loop, no matter what he does. <laughs> yeah. And so can you wear a watch? Do, do you, do, are you able to measure how far you've been? Nope. So no electronics, no phone, yeah. uh, no GPS watch. Um, so it's basically the map that you've drawn from his master map. Yeah. And what he does give you um, is a super duper $10. Casio. Kmart watch. Kmart. He buys 40 of these. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the reason why you know that the time is set the year before, so all the watches are set accordingly to the time that you actually start the race okay and the way he actually sets it which is actually quite smart is every watch is set to 12 o'clock on the start line so when he blows when when he lights his cigarette and off you go everyone's watch is just hit 12 o'clock yeah okay so basically and a few people never actually got that in past years so people are getting their watch and going but the time's wrong so they'll sitting there quickly readjusting their time uh, on their watch going yeah. no, no he, he hasn't set them right yeah. but what he does is is he basically just sets it at 12 
So all you have to worry about is, is look at the hours going by. Yeah. So if it says it's nine o'clock, then you know you've done nine, nine hours, hours in the race. Nice and easy. Mm. So you don't have to sit there and worry about trying to think and yeah, decipher. Yeah, easily lose track of time. You'll just lose track, especially when you get into the second loop. Yeah. You've lost track of what your, maybe you've done a 10 and a half hours in the first loop. Now you've got to work out what that is in the time of day and then, then the next loop. So you, you just keep going off the hours, so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you don't change your watch. And um, yeah, everyone gets a beautiful. Just realised he's losing his profit, spending he, he spending is. nine dollars on a watch. He is That's right, and he got four bucks. That's why he here. charges everyone twice. That's okay. exactly right. Yeah. So this year, someone even got a ten dollars smartwatch. So he ran out of they ran out of Casio watches. Mm. So he had to then go and get the uh, the next watch, and it was a um, the cheapest smartwatch he could find. Yep. They said, uh, and then in all of his write-ups, he said it took him the longest to actually set that watch. He says he couldn't remember how he did it, and he said, good luck to the person who gets that one, because it didn't even sit yet to work out how to put it back on the time. Yeah, right, to reset it after each lap. Uh, no, no, just to, uh, he said, basically once he to set the time, it. it just disappears, because it's like yet to then try and get the, uh, it was a cheap touchscreen smartwatch. Yeah. So um, he said, yeah, and that was just a, uh, a lucky dip. So he put all the watches back in the box, you didn't know which one had the smartwatch, so when you, you only get your watch um, after it blows the conch, so you can only get it within that last hour. Yeah. So it was just a lucky dip that whoever got handed that watch. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Straight to the pool room. Yeah. Straight to the pool room, <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> mate, so what's, uh, what's next on the agenda for you now, mate? What, uh, uh, what floats the boat? Next on the agenda is putting my race on. Mm -hmm. um, that's kept me busy for the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, all going well. Um, I'm actually going to probably enter and do my first official six day. Mm -hmm. So because my last one was never official, um, I'll go back a little bit from the 3100 and I'm actually going to see if I can get to an official six day. So all going well, September, October. Mm -hmm. I'll, um, I'll do one then and yeah. And where, whereabouts? Um, probably Adelaide. Okay. So that's, I had booked in Adelaide for the two years which were both cancelled during COVID so mm -hmm. we couldn't get to. So yeah, all going well. I'm and this is a track race? Uh, no, so Adelaide's really nice. So it's actually uh, in a park. So it's a 1.4K loop that mm -hmm. runs around an old reservoir. Okay. So it's beautiful parkland. Um, there's a reservoir right in the middle and the course sort of runs around that. And a little bit longer than a, a normal, mm -hmm. shorter. Most six days are usually on about a 800 to a 1K loop. Mm -hmm. um, this one just happens to be 1.4, so. And no need for sticks for this one? Uh, well, you don't know. It's I, I've been told there are a couple of trip hazards there. So, <coughs> interested? Interested in a six day? Oh, oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> <Yuck>. <laughs> it's only the light version. Oh, it's, not, it's not I even one week. It's, it's, it's only a warm up. That's right. It's a warm up. That's right. Well, mate. Yeah. Congratulations on impressive 12 months it's, thank it's, you it's, it's an impressive couple of dnfs that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well the 3100 was never it's never considered a dnf is that right um so the way shri chinmoy put that race is even though they set a distance because they have to set a distance to make it an official race yeah. but to them one of the biggest parts is it's the commitment for 52 days so mm. um even if you don't reach the 31 they consider that you've been successful if you can get to the end it's it's only the ones and they said very rarely have they ever had anyone who has got to a point where they would not reach that distance walk away from the race okay so it's, committed. yeah so for our year we had um out of the 11 there was five of us that didn't actually reach the full distance mm -hmm. um and 
the person that got the most was a, a Taiwanese lady, um, Nina, and she actually got 3,000 miles. So she was only 100 miles short of the distance. Oh. And it basically was, she had a, a slight injury come up um, about four days before the end of the race, and she had to walk that one day, and that one day of walking was just enough for her to lose the chance of getting to the end. Brutal. So, but still, still stayed on to the end. So even mm. though she knew she wasn't going to get that last hundred miles, um, and that was like so close for her. So she, um, she's a finisher. Yeah. Did Did anyone do like three thousand one hundred and one just to piss the other guys off? No. Well, it's everyone who finishes. They do their three thousand one hundred miles. Then they're actually allowed to then continue on for another fourteen laps. And that actually brings them all to 5,000 Ks. Oh, right. Yeah, so they'll actually officially record that for just you. Just to tick that OCD just, off. Just to tick that <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. You've, you've, got, yeah. you've got to be able to have it um, yeah, nice yeah. and even. Yeah, yeah. So you've got to round up. Yeah. 14 more laps. Yeah. yeah. It's a car park run. Yeah. Some of them will come back the next day and do it. Some will actually do it straight after their celebration. Yeah. Um, and they head back out. And do some just go, no. No, every, all of them that finish actually do the 14 laps. Yeah, okay. Um, even better. So the, the winner, Andrea Mercado, um, he like he finished in 42 days. So he still had 10 days before the end of the race. So right. we're still running for another 10 days after that. Yeah. He will still come back out every single morning mm-hmm. and run for about two to three hours on the course. Okay. Yeah. And that's that's his that's his basically recovery and his um and his sort of cool down. And is is it a tripping hazard? You know, running in a straight jacket. Because you can't oh, get oh, your oh. hands out. Not for yourself, you, you, but the winner. You, you don't need the straight jacket. No. The course itself is a tripping hazard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not a beautiful pathway. Yeah, yeah. It's um, because it's being in New York uh, and the difference in temp ranges, because yep. um, it all freezes during the winter, it just unevens all the, um, all the pathways. Yeah. So one of the locals there it does a really nice thing. Every year he'll go along and he'll actually cement up where all oh, the, the actual un, all the uneven parts of the actual course. Yeah, right. He'll go and cement a little ramp on every single one of them for us, usually yeah. about two or three days before the race starts. Yeah, wow. That's and you still get to trip. Yeah. Which yeah. I had a few trips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're only lifting your feet a couple of mil off the ground, <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's not hard to trip. Yeah. Impressive. <laughs> no thanks. No, well that's great. Good luck with next time. Thank you. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing the story. It's been yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. It's, thanks for having yeah, me. Super yeah, super impressive. Um, yeah, I look forward to finding out what the, the the next crazy race is that you do. I'm sure I'll come up with something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's plenty out there, I'm sure. We're going to keep you guys interested with something crazy. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Thank you. Steve. Thanks, guys. Cheers.